Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. And I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Gurungai people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how's it going? How are you? What have you been up to in these uh, holidays, this little break? Yeah, well, you know, it's been okay, like, personally, I guess. Um, it's always the case, you have this free time, and I had these grand plans of being productive and working on these projects, and I did a little bit, but maybe not to the extent I wish. But I think first and foremost, we need to issue a bit of an apology, or at least a bit of an update. Our last episode, which we a, recorded a correction, I think. in the first half of December before Christmas, was a very chill, relaxed Q&A special where we were just like sitting on the couch, dim lighting, not talking about anything like too serious, just hanging out. And at the beginning, we were like, things are good. Vibes are good. Things are great. Little did we know that perhaps we jinxed the entire, you know, world <laughs> or at least uh, Australia and New South Wales because things have not been great recently. In fact, they've been, at times, the worst they've been in a while. Yeah. Which I feel solely responsible for. And, of course, you know, that sours the time off a little bit. Yeah. A lot of bit, maybe. Yeah. It's just, it's a bit rough. So, I I imagine you've had a similar experience yourself. Yeah, like, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I was really disappointed, in a way, about my holidays, because obviously I couldn't do any of the plans that I wanted to do, because the new wave of COVID, of the Omicron variant, has led us to kind of obviously be at home, lots of high case numbers, not wanting to take any risks. And it just kind of sucks, because it's like, especially I think now that I work, like, as a salaried worker because up until now I used to work casually and so it never really mattered if I took time off because it wasn't like annual leave it wasn't paid leave so I never cared but now I'm like oh my god my precious annual leave that I like work my ass off for like when I'm using my annual leave I want to be using it like for something so it's just like kind of bummed out because I was like oh well I'm on annual leave yeah. and I'm not doing anything and it like I could just be unpaid leave like what's the point yeah, it's a scarce resource you know you only yeah. get so much a year and at least when you're casual if you don't want to work you just don't work you just don't get paid for it but there's no like commitment you've really made there. yeah but now you but get- knowing I'm gonna go back to work in three weeks and I haven't done shit is like mm. yeah it bummed me out and I will say like that that being said, and like being bummed out about that was a thing, but also like the sporadic days that I did work throughout the holidays. Like the other day, I you know hadn't worked for like almost a week, and then I did like I covered a coworker's shift, and I was like killing it. I was nailing it. I was like I've never been so productive at work ever, which goes to show that breaks do work. Oh, for and sure. And that not working for a while makes you very productive because this is the first time that I've really had a break. Like I've never, you know, had like annual leave or anything like that, and in the media like I've only really freelanced I haven't really worked like in the grind so now like working full-time and then like taking a few days off and then come back even though I didn't like do shit in those few days I was so productive and now I'm back again like I'm off annual leave now I'm back into the full-time role and like there is such a huge difference in my productivity and my mental health in like my mindset like I'm enthusiastic when I've had a break I can like tackle any task given to me with like relish and now I'm just 
I've only been back for like a couple of days and I'm already just like a husk of my former self. Yeah, I mean, we've known this for a long time. Like if we worked not five days a week, like three or four days, productivity doesn't actually decrease that much, if at all. Like people will just come to work in a, with a better mindset. Yeah. They're more productive. I've always believed in the three-day weekend mm. and the four-day work week, always. Honestly, we prefer to work even less than that. But, like, holidays definitely have reinforced because I've had, you know, three or four days off and then one day on and then three or four days off. And the days that I've been on, I've been nailing it. So, like, it does work and we should totally rally for a three-day weekend. And not eight-hour days. And not eight-hour days. But That's yeah, a topic for another that, I was going to say, we're already, like, starting a whole other debate. But, um, yeah, I guess in my, like, since the last episode, obviously shit has hit the fucking fan. Especially, like, I mean, everywhere, especially in New South Wales and then following New South Wales, Victoria... Things are pretty fucked. We're hitting like 48,000 cases in a day. And then like knowing that those cases are actually higher because a lot of people obviously can't get tested or like aren't reporting their rapid tests because we don't have a system for that yet. It's just a nightmare. We are living a nightmare. Mm. And I feel like we just jinxed everything because not that long ago we were like, everything is great. This is so chill. Like it's almost back to normal. And now I'm like, kill me, please. But... Everything is content. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is commodifiable. Everything is commodifiable. So today, like, we're just going to talk about how fucked things are. Mm. I genuinely think this is a case study on just so many, not just failures of the government, which we'll get into, but also, like, this is a time to really interrogate some of our ideas about how society functions. I think, like, nothing is a better case study in the failures of capitalism than what we are dealing with right now with test shortages and, like, just the rampant ableism happening during this Omicron variant. Just like a lot. There's a lot. There's just everything is falling apart. Yeah. In some ways, it's it's ripe ground for analysis. I feel like everything that has gone wrong has just sort of coalesced sort of everything is aligned in this in this perfect moment where everything that is wrong is just showing itself most clearly. Like I feel like we've talked about COVID so much on the podcast and you know for, for good reason. But I feel like now everything now just time. makes sense. Yeah. You know, everything has just fallen into place. There's a coherent sort of narrative. Yeah. That I think it will be really interesting to get into today. Yeah, I agree. I know we've done a lot of COVID content and I imagine people are pretty fucking tired of hearing it. And I don't blame you. It is fine if you want to pretend that this doesn't exist and just like watch some Harry Potter, which is what I'm doing on most of my nights off. But um, I think this is a really great opportunity to talk about like just what a failure everything is. So let's get into it. The first thing I think we're probably going to talk about, and maybe the most obvious frustration for a lot of people, is just like the government incompetence of this entire mess. And particularly, I think what Mitch and I find interesting is the inconsistency, like the constant backflipping, the like emotional whiplash Mm. that a lot of us are getting. And like just the miscommunication as well that's coming out from that. I mean, we're recording right now on Monday. So you guys are going to listen to this on Wednesday. And I'm sure there's going to be 50,000 changes in Mm -hmm. the meantime, as it always happens. And as particularly it's been happening. I mean, even today, like on the Monday... I was reading about a bunch of things that Scott Morrison may or may not introduce by Thursday. And, like, I'm not even going to bother commenting on that now because I doubt, like, it's going to be the same situation by the time this episode goes live. Yeah, and I think inconsistency maybe isn't even the best word for it because it's just incoherent. Mm. But that incoherence is very telling. And I think, again, all these narratives that, like, these politicians have been deploying throughout the past two years, this is the third year of the pandemic, which is, like, crazy to, to think about. 
I think it's very revealing for how these people see the world. I think it's happened so much and almost they're so consistently inconsistent or their incoherence has almost created a coherent narrative of how they interpret the world, how they make decisions about policy, whose lives are more important, what's more important, what's privileged in our society. And I think today we just want to sort of amalgamate all these thoughts to get into like the nitty gritty of why things are the way they are. I think kind of the main inconsistencies that a lot of people are frustrated by and one that I was just talking about today on Instagram is the inconsistencies around when to isolate and how long you should isolate for and who is infectious and when you are infectious and what to do if you get COVID. Literally all the rules around managing having COVID, which you should you would think would be the only consistent part of this because mm. other things will change. But like getting COVID is pretty consistent and like how long you're sick for is pretty consistent. Like you don't yeah. expect those details to change, but they have. Understanding the nature of the virus should be top priority. You'd- yeah. You would think, but it isn't. Um, And like just recently, I mean, an example of that, before Australia moved away from the 14-day isolation period, which we were doing for two years, like whether or not you were vaccinated and we weren't vaccinated at that point, it was considered the norm that when you have COVID, the cycle is about 14 days, really 10 days, but the extra four days is like, because you don't know when exactly you've gotten COVID. So you were supposed to isolate for 14 days or like 10 days from the day that you received your positive result, which was expected, you know, to kind of even out with the extra four days. Anyway, that was the norm. And then a few weeks ago in the US, the CDC changed the isolation period for workers to five days because, and they were pretty open about it, the worker shortage was like crippling. Businesses couldn't open, nobody was coming to work, everybody was quitting, there's this worker nightmare, there's this mass quitting that was going on. And also, I mean, I could go into a whole other tangent about that because there are other labor factors involved here. But the point is, the economy was in shambles and the businesses were in shambles. And so they were like, okay, Everybody is in fucking isolation. We really need some workers. Let's just cut the isolation period to five days. So you isolate for five days. And then as long as you're not like sick and dying, you should come to work, which makes no sense. It's not based on any health policy. It's not consistent with any health advice. It was purely a move to get people back to work to make money, which is incredibly short-sighted because they're just going to spread sickness, which is going to make more people sick, which is going to lead to more isolations and closures. So it just... Like, completely nonsensical. I mean, it sounded fucking ridiculous when it happened. And I saw, like, in the US, everybody was like, this is fucked up. Like, this is the apocalypse. Like, we are truly in, like, late-stage capitalist hell. What do we do? Like, panic. And then, like, very casually, the Australian government, like, the next day is like, oh... The U.S. has changed their isolation to five days. We should totally do that. That makes so much sense. Like, the experts... The leaders of the Western world, America, have gone down to five days, so we obviously should follow suit, which is incorrect. But that happened here, and now the isolation period here is seven days, which I'm surprised that it's seven days. Interestingly, though, this is not quite consistent across the whole of Australia. So, like, different states were disagreeing on how long everyone should isolate for, blah, blah, blah. It comes as no surprise that like New South Wales, for example, went with the seven day isolation period because like we're fucked. We, everybody is sick and they need people to work and they need nurses to work. And there's just, you know, society cannot function without workers. 
But they had like a federal meeting. Like everybody came together. All the state leaders came together to agree on this. And then like the next day, Queensland was like, oh, actually, never mind. And South Australia was like, yeah, kind of same. Mm. So there actually isn't consistency, even though like they all like had a meeting and agreed to be consistent. And then the next day, like other leaders backflipped. So at this point, I'm confused. And I think everybody is confused about what the like federal rules are. I believe currently it's seven days, but also like I don't think everyone is following that. It's very confusing. And like that is not like a reflection of our sourcing. There is literally grey areas and confusion amongst every... This is just confusing. It's just fucked. But whatever, we've gone down to seven days isolation period. Scott Morrison unveiled this like in late December, like in the Christmas New Year's period, like the seven day isolation period. And then he was like, yeah. And then on the seventh day, you do a rapid antigen test. And if it comes out negative and you're asymptomatic, you're good to go. And then 22 hours later, he was like, actually, never mind on that like negative rapid tests. Don't worry about those. Like if you are asymptomatic on day seven, you're good to go. Which like has fucking confused everyone. <laughs> well, like what a farce, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it's just so flippant. Yeah. You know? And not just that though. Like he was talking about how like we're having national cabinet meetings. I am in discussion with all the relevant leaders. We are collaborating. We are going to have, you know, some coherent information for you. We've got your back. We're doing our job. Like it was a big deal. And Scott Morrison was really spinning like a yarn around how he's like taking this up and like doing this for us. You know, I am going to unite the states in a consistent blah, 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 because I know you're all confused and I've got your back. And then, like, fucking backflipped 22 hours later. And even now, people in my DMs, like, I put up a story today, Monday, reminding everybody that if you are symptomatic on your seventh day after having your positive test result, you are supposed to continue isolating. Your isolation isn't over until it's been, like, 10 to 14 days and you're, like, asymptomatic. You can leave on your seventh day if your symptoms are gone and you're fine. But if you're still sick, you're not supposed to. No one fucking knows that. And like people are just leaving isolation on day seven and spreading their viral load everywhere. And it's not even their fault because it's just mismessaging because they did like the government said that they said you could leave on day seven. They didn't actually explain that very well. And then somebody else was DMing me being like, oh, like, you know, I still haven't returned a negative antigen result. And I'm like, you don't have to do that anymore legally. Like that's changed. Like no one knows that. It's just a fucking mess. QR codes were reintroduced a week before New Year's Eve because I was covering it. And then on New Year's Eve, the deputy premier told Sunrise, oh, oh, like QR codes are old news. Like we've progressed as a society beyond the need for QR codes. Like I don't even know why we're still using those. Like we're definitely going to phase them out. So like don't get too attached to the QR codes because they're going. And it's like, but you just fucking reintroduced them and told us we needed to do them. Yeah, it's like Dominic Parate is, is five different people. Uh, all wearing the same disguise or something. <laughs> Literally. It's, uh, it's three kids in a trench coat who are all making policy independently. Yeah, it actually makes no sense. And the latest, I think, example of like government backflipping and inconsistency is the new rule that New South Wales introduced a few days ago and Victoria has introduced this week. I think it's going into effect Wednesday night that now those that work with food, like food workers, as in like food supply workers, no longer need to isolate if they become... A COVID contact, like as long as they can work, essentially. So they have an exemption from mandatory isolation if they're working, as long as they're asymptomatic and they return a negative antigen test. Which is fucking worrying. <laughs> Which is fucking worrying because, first of all, these people are like going to be 
touching and delivering all of your food. Second of all, they're going to be working with other workers, all of whom are essential workers and will become vulnerable to catching COVID off each other. Like it'll be a mass spread in these groups. And then like just the idea that like we can change health advice depending on what we need workers to do. And it's just so frustrating because it's like, where is this advice coming from? Like, how is this consistent with health advice? We not long ago were like scared of leaving isolation. People were getting fucking arrested for like breaking isolation. Cops were like door knocking at people's homes in Western Sydney, fining people $20,000 for breaking isolation. And now like you can isolate as long as you're working. I think there's a really interesting narrative there of when we value people's lives because it makes no fucking sense that not that long ago, breaking isolation was something that was caused for like jail time. There was a woman in Queensland who was sentenced to jail for escaping her COVID isolation because she was worried that she was having suicidal tendencies. And now it's just like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to isolate. And I know somebody's going to be like, oh, but we weren't vaccinated then. And it's like, yes, but also people are still dying. People are still sick. And not everything is about death. Yeah, I might not die from COVID. I still don't want to catch it. <laughs> like, and I still reserve the right to not want to be fucking sick, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Like, dying is the worst possible outcome, but it's not the only negative outcome. Yeah, like, I don't want to get long COVID. Exactly, especially because I imagine long COVID doesn't really seem treatable and chronic fatigue is already something that is not taken super seriously by yeah. many med- medical professionals. Exactly. Like, there are so many dangers to getting COVID that don't include death and we should be allowed to avoid all of them and have the option to avoid all of them, which we're not currently being provided because the government ideas now are like, oh, well, you're all vaccinated. So just, like, it's fine if you catch it. It's fine. Just go back to work. You'll just be sick for a few weeks and it'll be fine. And it's like, I don't want to be fucking sick for a few weeks and I don't want to risk getting long COVID and I don't want to give COVID to my immune-compromised friends and family members and I shouldn't have to be in this situation. But anyway, I digress. I feel like I can talk about that more later in the podcast. What I want to talk about now is the fact that the government can decide when it is and isn't okay to break isolation and how really all of this is arbitrary. Like all of this is arbitrary. All these laws are arbitrary. The way that we were fucking like hanging up people to dry for breaking isolation. And now we're like, oh, just work. Just work with COVID. It's fine. Nurses are currently reporting to The Guardian that their bosses are pressuring them and forcing them to come to work while COVID positive, which is like not currently technically illegal. Like why aren't they subject to the same legal consequences as breaking isolation a few months ago? It should be a fucking crime to send COVID positive people to work with vulnerable others that could die from COVID, but it's not. It's not because all of this is arbitrary and who we decide are villains is arbitrary. Sometimes it's okay to break isolation, sometimes it isn't. And the only people that choose and moralise that are the government themselves depending on what is most profitable for them because you've got to remember as well before, like the price was a fine. People were getting fined thousands of dollars for breaking like COVID isolation and now it's no longer profitable to find people for that because we actually really need people to work so now it's the opposite like all of this is revolving around government profit and none of it has anything to do with health advice also something I just found honestly at this point funny like just so absurd that it's funny is the fact that both New South Wales and Victoria have banned dancing at clubs because of the potential COVID spread but they've allowed like potentially COVID positive essential workers to work in grocery stores and hospitals and it's like you're not allowed to get COVID at a club but you can get it at the grocery store. 
and this is what we will mandate. It makes no sense. It's just funny at this point because you're like, okay, well, we'll spread COVID in literally every capacity, but you can't dance. And I say this as someone who like, you could not fucking pay me to go to a club right now. The thought of just going and like being infected, oh, gross. Like the whole thing is like, ew, why would you even want to go? But like, it's just so funny that like they are going to try and control COVID in this like really arbitrary manner of like, no, in clubs will potentially be COVID safe, but everywhere else the rules are gone with the wind. No, I agree. Like, it seems inconsistent, arbitrary, senseless. Like, that's what we've been saying. But is it? But is it? That's the question. Because I would argue that while it is undoubtedly inconsistent and a lot of it doesn't make sense and a lot of it seems incoherent, but I think when you actually look at sort of the ideology that's coming into it, everything seems to follow a very predictable pattern. Because I think it's easy to get the sense that you know, there is like some super villain in charge here, you know, just deploying, you know, workers out at will. Like, yes, release them into the viral field. Kill brands. them, kill them Exactly, all. for profit and money. And I think one thing that really separates uh, America, which Australia's policy seems to really want to emulate, like they, they like what's going on in America, is that I feel like we get the sense that they can't even be evil properly here. Like, they're really trying to, but they just, they can't quite get it. Because at least in America, right, which just surpassed a million COVID cases, new cases in one day earlier uh, this week, things are obviously very fucked there. But at least they, like, the government doubles down on policy. It's like, oh, we're going to do the sort of nonsensical, dangerous thing and just deal with it. Like, we're doubling down. This is what we believe. Of course, like, we're going to favor the economy over workers' lives. Like, at least there's some integrity to their evilness. And in a way, I think it actually makes it easier to oppose the government because Mm. they're not even pretending that what they're doing is consistent with health advice, which gives you momentum in your fight against the oppressor because you can very clearly be like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what you've told us to do. It's wrong. So in a way, like not that I want our government to be like America's government, but in a point of criticism, it's kind of easier to criticize and fight against and call out a government that's consistently evil. Yeah, it's like we saw with Trump and even with Biden, who just seems to be, you know, replicating many of the policies from Trump or just impotent in the face of, like, potentially changing it. There's at least the sense that, oh, yeah, the economy and business is far more important than, you know, individual lives. And at least that's, like, clear. At least people are being clear about this. Like, that is what is going on. But here, there's just this constant backflipping. You know, they say one thing. Uh, against health advice and then the next day sometimes like we said 22 hours later it will immediately be changed and there just seems to be no sort of coherent like momentum or, or flow to like why things are being done and while it all seems like inconsistent like there's no real force behind these actions that is all just in the moment i think there actually is a guiding ideology like a, a reason a narrative that is being followed that actually informs why these decisions are being made and then why these decisions are immediately sort of reverted or changed or modified. There is an ideology that is being followed. It's that the economy, that mystical, eternal object is a living, breathing, organic thing. You know, the economy isn't just like a concept, but it's like it's a thing that's alive and it has like a, it has like a body, you know, and it, it, it lives among us. So like humans, it has sort of a, a nervous system, a body, it has an I immune need. system, it has needs and it can get sick. The health of the economy is something that needs to be prioritized and privileged at all costs. And most importantly, our health, both literally as in 
our, the, the health of our bodies and morally, as in the health of our values in, in society, whatever the fuck that means, is tied and linked entirely to the economy. Essentially, the economy, almost like a sort of a religion, is life-giving. And that's why every decision, even when it seems uh, short-sighted, uh, is ultimately to favor the economy because that's what it's all about. We humans, the workers, live to serve the economy when really it should be, you know, the other way around. The decisions that they're making aren't random. They're just chasing profits. Like they are running through a maze and they're taking every answer that will make them more profits in the short term, not the long term, which is honestly how capitalism just functions. Like that's what capitalism is, short term profits at the expense of literally everything else. And with these decisions that seem nonsensical, it is literally that simple. Like they are literally just chasing the profits and doing what they like a band-aid solution that day for the economy. Like today, let's get all the workers in, even if that means next week there won't be any left. Exactly. Like it doesn't matter. That's what it is. And I think that's a really important thing to be conscious of because when we talk about like things being random and like how wild and weird these answers are, like we kind of aren't fighting against something and we actually really need to be concise and we need to know what we're up against and what problem is the root cause of this so that we can solve it. Like, I think it's really important to name your problems. So like, while it is super inconsistent and like, I have definitely been one of those people that's like, oh my God, I can't, like, how is it like this? It's also really important to know exactly what this is, which is literally just chasing profits because once we can put a name to it, then we can like, identify it and then we can be like okay here are the ways in which we are going to oppose this like you need to be able to explain a problem in order to fix it and Mm. i think it's really important right now to understand that what they're doing is not just like a lack of education scott morrison's not just dumb i mean maybe he is but that's not why he's making these decisions it's not like a lack of education or information or like just them not knowing what the fuck they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing and they're chasing profits at the expense of everybody else because it will favor them. Exactly. And that's just the logic of capitalism. Yeah. That's why we have climate disaster. You know, of course, climate change is going to be an issue for capitalists the same way that COVID is an issue for capitalists. But capitalism and capitalists are just too short-sighted to be able to see an issue 10 years down the line or even a year down the line most of the time. Yeah, like it's an inherent factor to how this functions and you can see it in like every capacity, be it climate change, workers' rights, even just like the way the fucking nine to five works. Like like we actually mentioned, funnily enough, I wasn't planning to go down this road, but now that we actually are talking about it, we mentioned earlier that it is scientifically proven that workers are more productive working four days than five days. Like we would literally be creating more profits if we worked four days rather than five days. But like these companies will never do it because they can't think long-term like that. Mm. Their first thought is, oh, but... Four day that means that means one day less having no fucking concept of the fact that they would be in the long term like increasing their profits because that's just how this functions you can see in the way workers are treated you can see in the way of climate destruction and like green energy and how that could actually be wildly profitable mm-hmm. if we actually fucking bothered to like put in the systems to move towards it but we won't because we can't think long term capitalism cannot think long term and it's yeah. really obvious as well right now in our health crisis one thing that these leaders don't realize and i guess this is where the disagreement lies is that they believe that the economy is like a thing. But what they don't realize is that the economy isn't a thing. It's not an object, but it's like a system of behavior in a way. Like we make the economy. The economy exists in the interactions with each other. We make the economy, but they believe that the economy makes us. 
like you said before, the policy always seems to be like intentionally short-sighted. It's always about putting a band-aid on whatever new issues are rising because the economy and its health must be preserved immediately at all costs. It has to be preserved in this current moment. And while that may seem sort of backwards and doesn't make sense to us, I think we can, it can make sense to us because that's what we believe should happen in terms of the health of people. That every issue that arises in, you know, in the society with COVID, there should be almost immediate band-aids being, being put on to make sure that people don't get sick and people don't die. So it's just a reversal. You know, they, they believe the same thing, but it's the other way around. That for them, band-aids must be constantly applied to the health of the economy. To us, we must uh, immediately respond to the health of individuals. Because in reality, individuals make the economy. You know, they believe that the economy can operate autonomously, that humans is not required. Or the economy makes us who we are. But really, the reality is, it's the other way around. There's no economy without workers. Which they know as well, funnily enough, which is why they're trying to get workers back to work. Which is like, I guess, the great contradiction of capitalism as well is how much it doesn't give a fuck about workers, but how much it desperately needs them and knows it needs them. Exactly. Yeah. The economy is just, it's a religion. It's just, it's, it's just ideology. It's just discourse. Yeah, it's just a concept. The second thing I wanted to talk about today was the availability or perhaps lack of availability of rapid antigen tests. Ra- I mean, I've been saying rat tests, but actually the T stands for test. So I'm saying rapid antigen test test. It's been uh, notified to me that I'm saying it wrong, but whatever. Rapid who's, test- been, who's told you that you're saying it wrong? Somebody at work. I think it was my boss. I think it was Josie. Shout out if you're listening to me, Josie. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, queen. (laughs) Anyway, what I was going to talk about was rapid tests and the market. Because that's obviously been, I think, the most uniting kind of issue that we've seen since like the beginning of the pandemic is the availability of rapid tests and how they should be free. Which sounds like fucking obvious, I think, again, it just goes to show how much our government really wants to be America because, like, it is fucking absurd to even, like, consider paying for a test that I need to make sure I'm not, like, suffering from a deadly virus. Like, it actually seems absurd in this day and age, in this country, on this land, to, like, have to pay for that, which I think a lot of people agree with. I mean, we've been having free PCR tests for the entirety of the pandemic, because it just seems logical. Again, like, of course, we want people to test because if they don't test, we won't know they have COVID. And if we don't know they have COVID, we can't make sure they aren't giving it to everybody else. Like, it just seems like in the state's best interest, you would expect to have tests free and available, which they were with PCR tests until, you know, our government completely fucking botched this wave of Omicron and then everybody needed a test because everybody was a contact. Like, it just spread ridiculously fast. We don't have the infrastructure to test this many people. And the answer that our government thought of was, okay, we'll just limit who can do a PCR test because we obviously can't give it to everyone, so we'll just give it to a few people. Which, like, I think in theory even now, like, some people like were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, except it doesn't. Like, it does make sense, but also uh, people present coronavirus very differently. Like, it's different for a lot of people. Some people have really serious symptoms very early on. Other people are, like, mostly asymptomatic. And there's just, like, not a lot of ways you can control this. And it was especially difficult because, obviously, they narrowed the definition of close contact to somebody you live with, which <laughs> yeah, changes like- everything. So, like, if my coworker gets COVID 
I'm not considered a close contact anymore. Like, yeah. therefore, unless I'm symptomatic, I don't get a PCR test to find out if I'm COVID negative. Yeah, it's like I laugh because it's just like all the other policy. Like before, oh, there's a labor shortage because people are isolating. Oh, just decrease the time people isolate. Yeah. Oh, oh there's this- too many close contacts. Just change what it means. Just to limit be a close who contact. can be a close contact. <laughs> like, let's just gatekeep being a fucking close contact. Yeah. Oh, there's too many tests happening. Or oh, just limit who can do that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah, because they- it does make sense, but it's it doesn't have positive consequences or outcomes. For us. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Um, and then, obviously, so PCR tests became limited. I saw a lot of, like, public discourse of people supporting that, which was bizarre to me. Um, and I actually wrote an article about how that is fucking ableist, which I will share in our source link and I will talk about, actually, in the next section of this podcast. But... Back to rapid tests. So the answer to a limit of PCR tests was obviously then to have rapid tests available because if I can't get a PCR test, which, you know, requires a lot more resources and a lot more labor in order to get a result from, I should just do a rapid test, which I can do by myself at home. I don't need help from anybody else. The wait time is 10 minutes. You know, it's a pretty it's a pretty good fix for this issue, especially for people who aren't close contacts, you know, who don't have symptoms. It's like, there's a good chance I don't have COVID. Maybe it's not worth the resources of PCR test, but I still want to know, so I'll do a rapid test. Fine, great. I love the idea of rapid test. Science has come so fucking far. It's one of those moments where you really got to like think about scientists and be like, damn, you all really be doing the Lord's work, okay? <laughs> we love rapid tests. Except the UV ones. Can we get the other ones back? Oh, I know. I fucking hate the UV ones. So much wasted. You get a torch with every single pack. Mm. Anyway, besides the point. The point is rapid tests just seem like a fucking godsend. Like this honestly feels like divine intervention. And then there's this shortage because there's this great demand and everybody needs one because nobody can get a PCR test. But all of us have been in contact with a COVID case. Like there are positive COVID cases at every single venue we've been to, every single fucking Kmart, Woolworths, wherever the hell you've been, there is a case. And because Omicron is so contagious there's a good chance you have it unlike with delta where if you were like fairly safe and you were wearing a mask and stuff like it was unlikely that you would catch the virus so there's all this fear there's all this stress there's no rapid tests and then the rapid tests that do remain are like ridiculously price gouged like so badly obviously i was for those of you who follow me on instagram this was a pretty big part of what i was talking about on there and i had a lot of you reaching out to me with your stories of like how much you were charged for a rapid test and I think the highest one I heard was $35 for one rapid test that had been removed from its original packaging. Wow. And then I think the second highest I heard was $30 for one and then it was $50 for two, which, by the way, up until like two days ago, people were still selling. Like these, these are like price lines. These are like, you know, large, like giant pharmaceutical companies. Small businesses too, they're all equally fucking guilty. So fuck all the small business pharmacies as well. Unpopular opinion, I know. But like price gouging is price gouging. And I don't think it's more ethical when an individual does it than when a company does it. Either way, you're still exploiting like a very real need for like public health resources. So fuck all the places that were price gouging. Very unethical. But it was happening. And obviously like the public response to this was to demand free testing. Like the government should... If not subsidize this partially, they should be like completely free, which I think is like, it makes sense. We've like grown up in Australia. If you're like a citizen, if you're on like Medicare, you're pretty used to having like free, accessible, universal healthcare, especially if you're able bodied and you don't require like special services. And then Scott Morrison said no. And we were all like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think it was like a real um, like shock. 
I think people, like, despite knowing what we know about our government, weren't expecting the government to push back so hard on free rapid tests. I think it was really, like, quite jarring for a lot of people to just see the government be like, um, no. And you might be wondering, if you haven't been reading about this, which I imagine everybody has, is why would they say no? Why would they say no to that? Like, it's not, it doesn't make sense. Don't I pay taxes? Like, don't I already pay for my healthcare via taxes? Why should I then pay $50 a week to maintain a COVID negative status? Well, let me read you what Scott Morrison said when he defended his decision to not give us free rapid tests. By making that policy very, very clear, and this policy that Scott Morrison is referring to is not making rapid tests free, then that means the private market, whether it's in the big warehouse of pharmacies or the other pharmacies or the supermarkets, they can now go and stock their shelves with confidence that they won't be undercut by the government. That was what he said to the ABC to justify why he wasn't going to make rapid tests free. It was to protect the small businesses. I don't want to undercut them. I don't want to undermine them. I don't want to sell a product that they've already got for free, which was so shocking to me because that man really just said, oh, I don't want to undercut businesses, so fuck actual humans. Mm-hmm. Like, that's he really just said, go and die. <laughs> like, he really just, the idea was like, oh, I could never do that. I want small businesses to be confident that they can make money. And it's like, yeah, and I want to be confident that I don't have fucking COVID. And I want to be confident that I don't make my loved ones sick and kill them. Uh, Yeah, so he was really pretty happy to sacrifice us for the businesses. And then what do these lovely businesses do that he wants to protect so much? Our, you know, local businesses that we don't want to undercut. We don't want to fuck them over. What do they do? That's right. They mark up rapid tests to the point where some places are selling them for $35 for one test. News.com.au. And this is some tea, by the way. This is some fucking tea because I've only seen news.com.au cover it, which I find quite shocking. Um, But they interviewed like a wholesaler. They interviewed a guy whose company sells millions of rapid tests. You know, this guy is like the one supplying rapid tests to the pharmacies who are price gouging you. And he said that businesses were buying heaps of rapid tests off like his manufacturer and then not putting them all out. on Like they're telling him this, like his clients or whatever are telling him that businesses are buying rapid tests and then not putting them all out on the shelf and then marking them up and being like, oh my God, we're sold out. Therefore, like manufacturing a panic, manufacturing a shortage. Because when they tell you, oh, there's none left, you're like, fuck, I better buy one. You know, the struggle is real. And he said that his warehouse, I'll link this in our source list. He said that his warehouse or whatever, like acquires a test for $3 a pop, $3 to $4 for a test. And then he sells them to retailers for about $6 a test. And then those retailers are selling these tests for fucking $35. Some, some of these tests were getting sold for like 10 times their price if they were getting bought for 4 to $6 and then sold for $30. Like, it's fucking absurd. So all this to say that like Scott Morrison was adamant on protecting businesses and the businesses he's protecting are evil, okay? And I think the center of this kind of discussion on rapid tests is like the free market and this fucking, this nonsensical idea of the free market because it is actually fucking evil to give the free market free reign to sell an item that is a necess- it's a necessity for public health in the middle of a pandemic and health crisis with like desperate citizens that have nowhere to go and no other fucking options it is literally evil to then like dangle this thing that they need above their heads and be like oh the free market wills it like we want to mm-hmm. protect the market the market doesn't exist but i do like yeah like, i mean just like we were saying before and i think this perfectly leads on from that you know, from the logic of the free market, from the logic of the economy, like this price gouging makes perfect sense. You know, 
if you've done uh, economics in high school. Supply and demand. Yeah, you have supply and demand and where that intersects, you know, that's what the price should be. So, when the supply is very low, like what was happening with the the rat tests or the rats, uh, and then the demand is really high, the price goes really high and that's just, you know, the way it should work. That's just economics. That's That's just just the way shit works. And it's like, no, it doesn't because- Never did, like, the manufacture cost of those go up. And also because people think that, like, the economy is some eternal, mystical, natural thing that exists outside of us, they'll say that that explanation for why it's so expensive is good enough. But I want to question, you know, the how natural the economy is. I want to question the status of that to say that, no, this is not okay. This is fucked up. There's no reason for it to be so expensive. It's just that it's just money into the hands of pharmacies who are going to be getting this shit anyways. Like I don't think the pharmacies have to go out of their way to get this. It's not that they had to scour the earth for the sole, you know, rapid mm. tests which are, you know, buried deep deep in the ground and they had to have a whole team of people getting it. No, they they have they have an excess of them, but they just feel like they can sell as much as they want because the demand is high and because we're in a pandemic. Yeah, like they can just price gouge these items because they can. Of something that really frustrated me about this situation is like this idea that we can rely on corporations to do the right thing like this idea that like what they're doing must inherently be the right thing because they're doing it you know the fact that our like prime minister was more protective of the market than us i think says a lot but one of the main things it says was that he believes in this shit (laughs) he believes in the market and the right to business and the economy and you're right i think it is a religion for him but also like People who are defending these businesses believe that like the businesses are doing the right thing. I had people in my DMs in, on Instagram being like, you know, you can't come for these pharmacies. Like they need to make a living too. And I'm like, honey, I don't think pharmacies suffered during the pandemic. <laughs> no. If there's one industry that didn't suffer during the pandemic, it's definitely pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think they're the one fucking place that like anything like were probably fucking soaring in budget i was talking to somebody else i, I was actually talking to a few quite a few people have worked at priceline that also know us <laughs> that a few several people talking to me on instagram about their experiences at priceline and how in 2020 like priceline was price gouging masks and hand sanitizers and that there was never a shortage ever like they never like their stores never had a shortage of these items they just like marked up the price and i shared an image of a receipt on instagram of somebody at a Blacktown pharmacy where they literally like the items scanned in for $50 and then they price overrided it to 75. Oh my God. It was a box of like, it was a five pack of rapid tests that they price over like the cashier, not their fault. I'm sure they were told to like manually overrode the price on the system to add on $15. And I was talking to a Priceline staff member who was like, yeah, so you can, you can add an item and it'll just be like health. So it just says health. And then you like just add the price. And like we did that with like masks, with sanitizers, like kind of, I mean, we've worked in retail, Mitch and I, so we understand like a POS system and how you can override prices and like add on, like a scan on and you can do that. And it's just like normal practice apparently at Priceline. I'm sure at many other uh, chemists as well. But yeah, and like it's interesting because something we just no longer talk about anymore because everybody has access to masks is that like, Priceline would individually sell masks. Do you remember that? They, also, they still do for 50 cents. <laughs> like, they take it out of the packaging. Mm. And they like, we just got used to that. We just yeah. got used to that shit. And I think, I mean, I got used to that shit. I didn't even think twice about it. And then now that we're dealing with the rapid test shortage, I'm like, oh my God, all of this stuff that these chemists are doing are fucked up. Honestly, like, you shouldn't be able to profit from public health. You just shouldn't be. And then, like, 
Chemist Warehouse and a bunch of other like pharmaceutical companies are like, oh yeah, we shouldn't have to pay GST on these rapid tests. And it's like, you shouldn't even be making money from these rapid tests. Sorry. Like you shouldn't get to profit off a fucking public health crisis, but that's capitalism for you. Yeah. That is you should profit we- when I come to your store to get the rat tests and then I buy a packet of gum. That's your yeah, profit. That's your profit. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just, yeah. I mean, there's like, I'm sure this will probably be like dealt with in the media by the time this episode comes out on Wednesday. But as of Monday, uh, there's been a lot of frustration from pharmacies who are like, oh, Scott Morrison has now backflipped and said that actually concession holders can have 10 free rapid tests in three months and that you get it from the local pharmacy. So you go to the pharmacy, you present your concession card and you can get a rapid test the same way that you'd probably be able to get like a lot of medications that are subsidized on your like concession health card. Which to me actually makes a lot of sense. Like, I think if we were going to do it anywhere this way, kind of makes sense to me. But these pharmacies are like, oh, but the government's not supplying us the rapid tests. Like, they're just expecting us to give it for free and then they'll subsidize the cost. Is it just me or does that, like, does that seem fine? Like, yeah, like that makes sense to me. Yeah, but apparently, like, this is largely problematic for pharmacies who are really upset. And one of the pharmacies that was, like, talking about this was saying that, like, oh, but, like, now we have to increase our orders and like, we don't know when our orders are going to come and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, how's it fucking feel, asshole? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Doesn't it suck now that you have to actually sell this at a reasonable price or for free and you have to order it and you don't know when orders are going to come and now everyone's going to have to order them because, you know, obviously now that everyone can get them for free, other people are going to get them. Like, yeah, isn't it stressful? Doesn't it suck? I don't know. I feel like I don't have sympathy for these like pharmacies. I really don't. No. I have sympathies for workers in pharmacies who are going to have to deal with an incoherent system. Like, I feel sorry for the people behind the desk, but I don't feel sorry for the pharmaceutical industry. And I don't think we should be. I think a lot of people are falling into that trap because I think people conflate, like, pharmacies with, like, healthcare workers. And people, like, conflate the pharmaceutical industry with, like, hospitals. No, that is incredibly misguided. Yeah, and, like, I can see how that has happened. Like, I get it because we, like, associate PCR tests and rapid tests being administered, like, by frontline workers. And, you know, with the PCR test issues, obviously, we're really sympathetic to the people behind this because they're overworked. But let's not conflate that with, like, pharmaceutical companies selling you rapid tests. Because, trust me, they don't need that profit. (laughs) They are fine. But anyway, to come back to, like, Scott Morrison and the free market and rapid tests... Like, something else that I think is just so astonishing and how this is being dealt with is, like, the mass gaslighting, I think, and emotional manipulation of, like, the public. Pharmaceutical companies are doing it in the way that they're conflating themselves with frontline and healthcare workers, which they're not. Maybe an individual pharmacist is a healthcare worker, but pharmacies are not. But also just, like, this idea that, like, we are asking for too much, which I've seen echoed a lot, especially among conservatives. I've seen a lot of conservative people feeling like they have a, like, little gotcha moment. And they're like, oh, well, you know, not everything comes for free. Like, not everything is, you say free, but nothing is really free. Everything still gets paid for. Like, I don't know that. Honey, I already paid for it. I pay taxes. That's what my taxes are meant to cover. Like, we have a universal healthcare system here. Here's a quote from Scott Morrison that really boiled my blood for this reason. He said, We've invested hundreds of billions of dollars getting Australia through this crisis. We're now at a stage of the pandemic where you can't just make everything free. Because when someone tells you they want to make something free, someone's always going to pay for it and it will be you. Like, yes, charge me for it in my taxes. I don't care. Like, that's the point. That's why 
It's so funny when they're like, we've already spent billions of dollars on this. Yeah, and you've spent billions of dollars on warfare and weapons manufacturing and fucking tanks and submarines and like, where the fuck else we don't need because we're not at war with anyone. Well, they're at war with, I guess, the lower class. But you get what I mean? Like, it's so funny how they'll spend money on like fucking everything and then they'll draw the line at like rapid tests, which we already should have a right to. It's already been paid for. I already pay for it. Yeah, it's just astonishing. Like, remember when the government spent $54 million on Captain Cook memorials? And that was fine? Mm. Imagine if we spent that on rapid tests. Anyway, all this to say, you deserve rapid tests. Price gouging is bad. The free market doesn't exist. And stop feeling sorry for corporations and lending them your sympathy because they don't deserve it. You deserve sympathy. And people deserve sympathy and care and love and health care. <laughs> And no one should be profiting off that need. Kind of the last big thing that I want to talk about today in regards to the pandemic is just like this new wave of ableism, which actually, you know what? I shouldn't say new because it's not new, but it's definitely like one of the biggest social issues to be exposed under our government's regime, like during this pandemic, is just how rife ableism is, which has been apparent since the beginning of the pandemic. And I think, you know, many disability advocates have been saying it for ages. But like I, as an ableist person, like admit that I probably wasn't super aware of how ableist this was until like pretty recently, Mm. until really like this wave. And we've been in a pandemic for like more than two years. And I feel like I personally, as somebody who's incredibly privileged in that department, only recently became aware of how ableist everything is as well. And like only because there are people in my life now that are immune compromised. And now like my eyes have opened a bit in a way that I probably would never have thought about a long time ago, which like I admit is a shortcoming, but we're there now. Yeah, like, and I imagine a lot of people are in the same boat. Like, we just have, you know, immunocompromised people who the virus is an an immense risk to. That really solidifies and opens our eyes to an issue that we should already be aware of, you know, commonly in society. But for many people, that's just not the case. Yeah, and like I recognise that it's kind of fucked that it took me this long to like really understand how ableist, not just the pandemic is, like everything is, but like the pandemic kind of exposing how ableist everything is. Like for me, I feel like the the triggering to like really open my eyes was when PCR tests were limited and that was only a few weeks ago because like it was the first time that I was like, oh wait, but I have like immune compromised friends that I want to see. And now suddenly I am like directly impacted by ableism for the first time pretty much ever. So I was just like, wait, I want a peace of mind PCR test. Like rapid tests are not super accurate at picking up. If I have the virus, I have loved ones who are immune compromised that I really want to spend time with. I need to be getting tested in order to see them. And all of our other friends need to get tested in order to see them. And we're not going to see them unless we get tested because I could never forgive myself if I made them sick. And suddenly like this whole world opened up, I think for us. And it's like just one of those things where like, wow. So we're only just noticing this now, but it's obviously been a problem for a long time. Because when PCR tests became limited, it at least became apparent to me like just how isolating it must be as an immune compromised or disabled person during a pandemic. Because like for a while things were kind of back to normal and now they're not, but we're not under a lockdown, which I think is like kind of weird because I keep feeling like I'm under a lockdown. You know, I'm not going to eat out. I'm like going to the shops in very limited trips. I'm not seeing friends. I'm not doing indoor events. What really shatters that perception is scrolling through the Instagram stories. I know. It's and then seeing like, your friends at fucking like festivals Yeah, it feels shit. like I'm in a lockdown. I'm acting like I'm in a lockdown. And I just like seem to think that like officially we're in a lockdown. Yeah, I assume everybody else is doing the same thing. And then you get the, the Instagram story of people dancing in the club. And I'm like, people are doing that. 
Yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. And like that's how it's been for immune compromised people throughout this entire pandemic, but we're only kind of catching on now, now that we're like personally affected by it. It's frustrating and I recognize that I'm definitely not the first fucking person to talk about this and I recognize that this conversation is late, but I think it's worth having anyway. Um, and it's that I think everybody needs to like really like take a look at their own behavior because I'm seeing way too many narratives now about like, oh, everyone's going to get COVID, like stop being so precious, you know, like you, this, this is no way to live your life, like it's going to happen eventually, you're just being you know, overly sensitive and paranoid. And also like people being like, it's so selfish for you to want a peace of mind test because what about people that actually need tests? And all of that is really frustrating because it's not selfish. I need a peace of mind test so that I don't make an immune compromised person like debilitatingly ill. It's not for me. I'm not worried about myself having COVID in that regard. I can't make that person sick. Peace of mind tests are not selfish because they're not for you. And that's the thing in general when everyone's like, you're so precious, you're so paranoid. And like, it's not for me. In all likelihood, I will recover from COVID, but there are people in my life that could really be injured by it. And I can't let that happen to them. And it's like, what's selfish is preferring to party and like have fun and like ignore other people's needs. Because it's fine if you want to fucking do that, but like other people can't afford that. Just like, oh, it's just so frustrating now to see like our immune compromised friends, like not really be able to go anywhere and not be able to do anything. And are effectively like still under a self-imposed lockdown because they have to be for their own safety. And immune compromised people deserve to socialize and enjoy human connection and society like just as much as everybody else. And during the lockdown, when, you know, there was some leeway with seeing other people, they could actually go out because everyone was taking this seriously. Yeah. But then now, because it's just been, you know... It's a free-for-all now. It's a free-for-all. And then now, a lot of people have extra freedoms, but a lot of people actually, if they want to maintain their health, have to self-impose even more restrictions than they had during lockdown. There's a really good article about this by Anthea Williams. She's a theatre and film director who's immune-compromised, and she wrote for The Guardian on what it's like being a person with a disability during this pandemic. And there's this quote that I want to read you, where she says... My lockdown has not ended. It will continue until there is a coherent plan from our leaders that doesn't leave people with disabilities behind. And that's exactly it. And it's something that, like, we're pretty guilty of doing. Like, it's like, oh, lockdown's over. Everything's great. I can't wait to not wear a mask, which I definitely was doing a few months ago. But, like, lockdown is not going to be over for people that are actually, like, in danger from this virus when everybody else doesn't give a fuck. And, like, with our friends now, like, they can't afford to go out because they can't trust the people around them to do the right thing. Like, at least when everybody was wearing a mask and social distancing and that was just a norm because everybody was cautious, we were all hanging. We were all having a good time. Like, I was still seeing them because I wasn't afraid of giving them something because I could actually have some trust in the community around me. I feel like there was a much more collectivist mindset a few months ago and now like everyone's just fucking over it and it means that we can't trust anyone to be safe now and like it doesn't help that all these like law changes happening like it's confusing about what to even do and it's just a mess and it's fucking stressful for us as friends of people that are immune compromised and i imagine it's a million times more fucking stressful for them (laughs) something that's really frustrating i think and probably exemplifying our government's ableism right now or just like it's complete refusal to even acknowledge that like this virus is actually affecting immune compromised people and that immune compromised people exist uh, was scott morrison's comment at the cricket last week where he said this is Australia living with the virus. Look at us out there, referring to like 
people watching the cricket match. This is Australia taking wickets with the virus. And then he like proceeds to laugh. And he's like, look at us living with the virus. This is great. Like, look at us going to the cricket. Going to the cricket is what living with the virus is all about. And it's like, this, this is living with the virus. This is not living with the virus. We were living with the virus when masks were mandated, when social distancing was normal, when case numbers were in the early 100 to 200 a day rather than the fucking 50,000 that they're hitting now. That's what living with COVID looks like. Now what we're doing is not living with COVID. It's literally people like Scott Morrison and other privileged, able-bodied people going to the cricket, not even knowing where they're getting it. Like Scott Morrison said he doesn't even know where he gets his rapid test from because Jenny does the shopping. Like this man is so fucking out of touch. But like a lot of people are like this. There's just this idea of like, oh, like I can I can take this risk. I can afford to do what I want. It's okay. I can get sick and deal with the effects of COVID later. Like it's fine. Completely ignoring the fact that not everybody is in that position. And also, like, just a side note, something that I just think no one is talking about, it's like, you don't have to be immune compromised to not want to risk getting COVID. Like, I feel like a lot of the discourse is like, don't break these mandates or don't do these irresponsible things because you could get an immune compromised person sick. And it's like, yes, absolutely. But also, can we normalize just not getting anyone sick? Like, can we normalize just not spreading your illness? Because I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get COVID. I am really afraid of the long-term effects of long COVID, which we don't really know anything about, which a lot of young people are experiencing. There is so much about this virus's effects that we don't understand, and I don't want to be sick for two weeks. And, like, can we just normalise that? Like, can I just have a right to health? Just, you know, either, either you, like, you should get sick because you can, and then everybody else should isolate. And it's like, no, we should just normalise not spreading the fucking place. I don't know why I expect so much from a colonizer country. Like, this is what these people do, is invade countries and spread illness. But, like, I just am shocked at the public discourse around, like, oh, yeah, like, everyone's going to get it inevitably. So just, like, I'd rather get it now while I still can, like, while I can control when I get it. And I'm like, this doesn't have to be inevitable. It doesn't have to be that way. We can choose to build a community where we actually care about each other's health and we protect the vulnerable and we don't put ourselves in harm's way for the sake of convenience. Like, we can build that society. It can exist. But no, apparently not. Something else I wanted to talk about is the use of terminology like underlying health conditions, which honestly, like, has been a conversation since the pandemic started. I'm not the first person to talk about this. Probably one of the last people to talk about this, actually, because it's been a conversation for two years. I first saw a critique of this from Carly Finlay, you know, in early 2020 when we were kind of watching the deaths every single day, like in the very beginning of the pandemic. And every time there was a death, everybody would quickly check and they'd be like, this person has died, but they had underlying health conditions. Oh, thank God. Like, don't have to worry. I'm okay. You know? Yeah, there was a real, like people would breathe a sigh of relief because suddenly this death is no longer of concern for us. Like we don't need to mourn. They were already sick. And that is some bullshit (laughs) because like it's inherently, and look, I admit that I was guilty of that. I was definitely doing that in the early like pandemic and I was being ableist. Like I didn't, I didn't know any fucking better, but now I do. And it is inherently ableist because what it like implies is that people with underlying health conditions aren't as worthy of being mourned and their lives aren't as valuable. And like, it's fine if they die because I guess they were doomed anyway. Like who cares? Exactly. This doesn't personally affect me, which is so incredibly callous. And it's such a cruel position to take. And I feel like I didn't, 
understand that immediately and now I do and I just like fucking want to vom every time I hear it. Yeah, it's like five deaths from people with underlying health conditions is as worrying as one death from a supposedly like quote unquote normal person. Which is just such a fucked up way to think about it. Yes, and just this week, a young, healthy, double vaxxed 23-year-old man caught COVID and died. And bro, the social media mourning of this guy, which is like, yeah, it's obviously fucking heartbreaking. He's young. Like it's really tragic that he died. But the way, like, the angle that this was being reported on and the angle that everyone was talking about was, oh, no, this can happen to us too. Like, now we care about COVID deaths, now that it can happen to us, healthy, young, vaccinated people, as if, like, people who aren't in that category deserve death. It's so disgusting now to, like, really think about the way society collectively was relieved to hear that a death had an underlying health condition because that's what it was. Mm. It was fucking relief. People were like, oh, good. Oh, good. Because then that's not me and I can separate myself from this It's like for many people, it's like a fucked up coping mechanism. But then for people with these, you know, supposed underlying health conditions, that's like, it's it's worrying because you're constantly seeing people die and you know that you're at risk. So for one group of people, it's like, oh, thank God. For the others, it's like, oh, it's coming for fucking me. Yeah. But also like, again, Anthea Williams, who I quoted earlier with her Guardian article, Uh, Also said, and I think this like really, really pins down like how horrible those comments are. She said, it still stings when COVID related deaths are prefaced with a caveat about underlying health conditions, because that is what I have. And I love my life. My heart just like broke a little bit when I read that because like she's right. And I think a lot of us able people don't think about that enough. Like the term underlying health condition, like disability advocates have been saying it forever. And I don't think anyone's listening. And I think that, like, we kind of really want to reiterate if you haven't already come across that criticism to really take it seriously and stop using terms like underlying health conditions and stop being like, oh, like, you know, we just have to live with it because you're condemning an entire group of people who, like, first of all, are not even a tiny minority and they deserve to be treated like people. I think we kind of want to end this on a note of, like, it's okay to be a bit freaked out. Like, it's okay to be stressed and distressed and scared and frustrated and worried. Um, There's been a lot of gaslighting around this new wave of COVID, especially with our government acting like we're asking for too much by wanting free tests and conservatives claiming that workers going back to work while COVID positive is a good thing because we need their essential services and the economy needs to function. You know, when others justifying COVID positive nurses working in like hospitals with cancer patients as if this isn't completely fucking dystopian. Your anxiety and fear is justified. Your anger is justified. Your worries are justified. This is actually apocalyptic this is actually apocalyptic and we're in a mass extinction event with a government and a leader that is honestly like the human personification of capitalism like scott morrison is like a husk of capitalism Mm, a vessel a vessel very much so he's possessed by the spirit of capitalism Mm. and he chose corporations over us he did like openly and brazenly and we're paying the price for it and that sucks But that being said, I think we've also seen like some pretty amazing points of like working class power that were maybe unexpected that like should galvanize us a little bit, I think. Um, And it's the power of like collective rage because rapid tests are only becoming free for concession holders now because of public pressure. Like that wasn't like a backflip of Scott Morrison chasing the profits. Like he did that because the backlash was so immense and so targeted and so organized as well. Like everybody collectively got point one point. Everybody was like, this needs to happen. 
this has to happen. And we have an election coming up. And I think, like, I don't even, you guys know I don't fucking believe in democracy in its current state, but I think this was maybe one of the closer ways of actually kind of getting to it. Where, like, elections coming up, our government needs votes, and they ended up compromising on something pretty fucked up and doing something vaguely positive, vaguely. They should make them free for everybody, but they're free for concession holders. Because we demanded it. Because there was, like, a growing, mounted, targeted pressure. And, like, that was done, like, just accidentally. There was no campaign. None of us were out on the streets. Nobody was, like, doing anything. There was just so much potent rage collectively that, like, the government was forced to do something. And I think that's kind of, like, successful. Even if it's, like, the bare minimum, which it is. I think it's a small win. And I think you're allowed to revel in it, especially in a time where things are pretty fucked. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. I think now's a good time to talk about our sponsors for this episode, which is y'all, our lovely, lovely listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Johnny, Sarah Wallace, Kieran, Pia, Sarah Calcano, Liz, and Katie. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward to Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so you can check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film books and music. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at podcast at gmail.com. Here's the thing though, like T-H-O. I think there's been some confusion because I say here's the thing though podcast. Though is spelled as T-H-O, not T-H-O-U-G-H. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's clarified. Please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info when you email us or message us for things. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Bye.